Welcome to the Simplify Jesus Podcast. We're your hosts, Matt Gunter and Bill Allen, and together we are breaking barriers through communication. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to Simplify Jesus. We're so glad you're here with us today. Hope you enjoy this episode as much as we're going to. Uh, this is a this is a good story, very relatable. But uh, for now, let's go back to where we left off. Last week we talked about King Saul becoming the first king of Israel, and he started off doing well, as you heard. But pride, paranoia, uh, not listening, doing what he thought was right instead of doing what he was told, I guess, yeah. by God's prophet. All of that took over, and, and he started making some rash decisions. Because of that, and this is a really a perfect segue to this part, uh, Samuel confirmed that Saul's reign would not last and there would be another man considered a man after God's own heart that would sit on the throne. So, you know, he did good for a while and then to be told, sorry, not going to be you. We're going to get somebody else who's not even born yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, and it, it's crazy how that happens. How quickly that switch flips. But you know, the common root, and just think about this, we ran into it with Moses, right? Where pride was ultimately his downfall. We see it with Saul here, that pride was his downfall. I think old Solomon may have been onto something when he said, uh, pride comes before the fall. It, that's your natural progression, seems like. Yeah. Seems to be. Seems to be just about every story that that we read or, or hear is something about pride. Yeah. As I said, we're going to segue from... Saul being told he's not going to be king to who is going to be the rightful king who, wow, who is considered a man after God's own heart. That, that is high praise. Yeah. And I mean, and it says that in the, in the Bible, it says Mm -hmm. he is a man after God's own heart and spoilers, but we know reading on down the line that he wasn't perfect either. So that is hopeful. That gives us hope that even though we're not perfect, we're not expected to be, no. and you know we can hopefully be considered men after God's own heart. Yeah. So tell us about it. Where are we starting out with this? So we're we're going to jump back in history a little bit and talk about the origins of this King David, the origins of uh, the man after God's own heart. And so uh, we're going back to the story of Ruth. Now remember, this is where we told you we were skipping Ruth a few episodes back. Yeah. And now we're we're finally getting here. So we're back in the chronological side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping back a little bit and then we'll jump back to present day, so to speak in our, in our timeline here. So you go back to Ruth one, this all takes place during the time of the judges. So we're, you know, Gideon, Samson kind of in their time frame. In Ruth one, we meet a man named Elimelech who was married to a woman named Naomi. Uh, they had two sons. They lived in Bethlehem, but during a famine, they left for the land of Moab. And uh, that may sound familiar. Uh, one of the common enemies of the Israelites was the Moabites, but they were kind of in that area, in the area of Canaan. So they left there and Naomi and Elimelech's two sons married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. So after a little while of living in the land, uh, Elimelech and his two sons all passed away. And so Naomi was left and the only family she had left were her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And, you know, this is pretty significant. We, if we looked at the story today in today's culture, it probably doesn't 
um, have kind of the same meaning, the same impact that it does them. But in that culture, I mean, it was all about the inheritance and uh, all of the stuff. Everything went down the male line. It was all about your firstborn son and everything was passed along that way. And so for Naomi in this situation, not being married, being old enough that she has two sons who were also married, she's not going to get remarried at this point, most likely. So this is really a tough spot for her to be in. She she really doesn't have any power, so to speak, anything that's rightfully hers at this point. It's it's a tough situation. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but just because we're on this side of things, it speaks a lot to the culture and I think the way maybe God intended it, first of all, and the way Orpah and Ruth cared about their mother-in-law. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mention Orpah and Ruth's biological family in here, mm. right? They got they they married Naomi's sons. Yep. And you know the the Bible says when you marry somebody, you are one flesh, right? You yeah. you leave your mother and father and you cleave to your husband, right? And and vice versa. Yeah. And that's what they did. They didn't go back to their families. Yeah. But I mean, we're going to get into some of that here in a little bit. But for now. They're sticking with their mother-in-law. I think yeah. that's just really cool that yeah. that culture had a sense of honor. Yeah, and and just and to even take it a step up from that, these were women that were Moabite women. So they they weren't Israelite women who grew up in that culture. They but they still had that same respect for Naomi and the same respect for marriage and, and marrying into that family. It, it's it's a big deal. Uh, it's a really big deal. And we we see that best when they go back to Judah. Um, so Naomi's going back to her homeland, and uh, Ruth and Orpah, you know, go with her at first. But after they get on their way, Naomi tries to send them back. She's like, look, you need to go back to your family. You can get remarried, and kind of your homeland, your culture, and all of that. And and basically, her argument was. I can't give you any more sons. And even if I could, by the time they get old enough, you're not going to want to marry them. You, you need to go live your life now. Orpah ended up taking that advice and she went back to the land of Moab. But Ruth gave an awesome, beautiful reply here. And Ruth 116 says, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And, you know, so Naomi, when she heard that, she was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to try to convince you to leave. And they traveled together to Bethlehem. And so Ruth and Naomi become this kind of little power team here and and head back to Bethlehem to Naomi's home. And so so you see that strong bond that we're talking about. And after a little while, Ruth uh, went and asked Naomi if she could go gather grain behind someone that she found favor with. And, uh, you know, Naomi had no issue with it. So, you know, hey, go out, go gather grain. And, and kind of the deal here was, again, all of the inheritance, all of the ownership was through the men. And so it's not that Naomi didn't have any land. She did through Elimelech, but it was Elimelech's land. And so it's they didn't have their own fields. They were like, hey, these are Naomi's fields necessarily. And, and so Ruth was basically saying, hey, can I go out to somebody else and go gather grain? And she would follow along behind the guys picking the main stuff and just pick up the crumbs, basically whatever was left. So Naomi approved it, sent her out, said, uh, go check it out. So Ruth ended up in the field of a guy named Boaz. Now Boaz was a relative of Elimelech. Um, they said he was a prominent man, a man of noble character. And, uh, 
Ruth went out and was harvesting behind the harvesters, like I mentioned. So Boaz noticed her and, and asked about her, uh, asked some of the other female servants. And uh, one of them explained who she was and that she came back with Naomi as her daughter-in-law and stood by her side and helped her out. And Boaz basically said, look, you don't have to hide. You don't have to be ashamed. You know, come join the harvesters and we'll take care of you. You take care of Naomi and this is all going to work out. And so he went so far as to even tell some of the men who were the primary harvesters to, uh, to pull some of the stalks of grain and just, just leave them there. Uh, let, let her get some easy stuff and, and let her have some, some extra grain to gather so that she could be a blessing to Naomi, um, through him. And so it's really cool. Even without knowing any of the, the family ties or, or the, the extra stuff there, we see Boaz is really going out of his way to, um, you you can see the noble character coming out in Boaz already. Yeah, and and it didn't hurt that you know he was a relative of Naomi, mm-hmm. and but he still didn't have to do that. You know, these are his yeah. fields. This is his grain, and he's paying these people to go out and harvest this grain for him. Right, and she's basically walking behind and taking it. Yeah, but he still said, "Hey, you know what? Let's help her out." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that is really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool deal. So Ruth goes back and tells Naomi uh, who she met and, and what had happened. And Naomi encouraged her saying, hey, you go back, you keep harvesting Boaz's fields as long as he'll have you keep doing that. But she said, you may want to take this a step further. And in Ruth three, Naomi encourages Ruth to pursue a relationship with Boaz so that Ruth can then have a husband and be taken care of. And uh, Ruth three verses three through four, Naomi tells Ruth, uh, wash, put on perfumed oil, wear your best clothes, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying, go in and uncover his feet and lie down. And then he will explain to you what you should do. Basically, Naomi's saying, hey, this is what you need to do to go get this guy. And then he'll explain whatever whatever needs to happen after that. So uh, Boaz, he has dinner that night. He goes and has, has a drink. Uh, he's in good spirits. And he fell asleep on the threshing floor uh, next to a pile of barley. So Ruth does exactly what Naomi tells her to do. And in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up and he sees Ruth sitting at his feet. And I've I've just got this image in this moment of... Like me lying in bed and somebody standing at the foot of the bed staring down at me, like <laughs> yeah, like oh gosh, what you know, what's going on here? Not creepy um, at all. <laughs> there's a ghost. So, anyway, so that's basically what what's, what happens is Ruth's sitting there, Boaz sees her and startled. And Ruth three nine, he says, "Who are you?" And she says, "I am Ruth, your servant. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer." And so, a little note about the family redeemer here. So. If you look at the law of Moses, there's kind of this provision in there for what happens if a guy gets married to uh, to a woman, but they don't have any kids. Well, then she is to marry his brother, and the first kid they have is to be in the older brother's name, and so is to keep his line, and it kind of works its way down. So it's kind of a weird situation, and our culture it doesn't really make sense. We don't do that. You know, the idea of dating our spouse's sibling is kind of weird. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but that was a very normal thing. And it was all about preserving the bloodline and the and the heritage of it. And so that's what they're talking about when they talk about a family redeemer. 
And so Boaz is like, whoa, 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 hold on. That's great. I love what you've done to take care of Naomi, but there's a closer relative in line that should be the family redeemer for you before himself. And so if this other person who was the first one in line didn't take the opportunity, then Boaz was ready to step in and, uh, and marry Ruth to, to be that redeemer for Elimelech. And so while, while culturally it's kind of a weird situation, you can see the impact Ruth has up front, but also just the good man that Boaz is of, you know, this is, I care about my family and, and this is, this is what it's all about. So to, to continue with that, Boaz went and he met with the elders of the city and with the one who was first in line as a family redeemer. And he explained the situation. He laid it all out that Naomi was in a position of selling Elimelech's portion of the inheritance and it had to be redeemed by somebody in the family. And the family redeemer stepped into that and said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. But he also explained that with this came the responsibility to uh, redeem Ruth as well and, and marrying her. And so the, the guy who was the first in line basically said, no, that's going to cause issues. I'm going to step away from that. You can redeem the field and the portion along with uh, Ruth. And so um, they get married and they have a son named Obed. And at the end of Ruth, uh, we, we kind of get a glimpse at what this whole book has been about. And that is that Obed is the father of Jesse and Jesse is the father of David who goes on to be uh, the king of Israel. And so it's so interesting and so cool to see how what started as a famine where they left their home in Bethlehem and go to Moab. They intermarry with the culture, which was a big no-no in their society. And for the Israelites in particular, they just didn't, they were told to not intermarry with other cultures. And to see that the end result of that is um, the faithfulness that comes out of it, uh, of Ruth and staying by Naomi's side. And ultimately she ends up being in the line of David, which ends up being in the line of Christ, which we'll get to in a little bit. Well. It's, I can, I can work it in here. Do it. God does everything for the good of those who love him <laughs> and are called according to his purpose. That's right. Uh, Ruth was obviously called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. If it hadn't been for the famine, you know, they could have sat there and said, why me? Why me? What do I do? You know, but they didn't, they just did the next, did the next right thing. Yeah. Right. And they, <laughs> she stayed by Naomi's side, did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then God blessed that. God used that to not only bless her and Naomi, but to also bless Israel as a whole. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely what you call the grand scheme of things. Right. (laughs) When you're, you know, this one person basically influenced an entire nation. Yeah. Right. And through that, I mean, impacted the world, right? Because, because Christ came through the line of David and, that's not to say that, you know, if this hadn't happened, that Jesus wouldn't have come. No, he, he, he would have. That's all, that's been the plan from the get go. That's, that's what we've been talking about throughout this whole study. But, but to, to know that something that quote unquote shouldn't have happened is, you know, like you said, God works everything together for the good. If, if we have the faith and we trust him and we see he's going to see us through, he's going to use what we do in a big way, maybe not to impact a nation like that, but, um, but even when it doesn't make sense, it all works out. People ask all the time, why do bad things happen to good people? Ruth is obviously a good person. Mm -hmm. Famine's not a good thing. No. 
They don't, they're going to die if they don't get food. She is literally walking behind people in wheat fields, taking up whatever scraps she can come across. Yeah. That's not a good thing. Yeah. But we can see from this, she's a good person. So why do bad things happen? God only knows. Mm-hmm. Um, might take generations to see it, but it's there. And mm-hmm. that's where that trust comes in, the faith that God knows what he's doing. Yeah. And that's that's where we've got to get to. And remember is that God does know. And and trust that. Trust that even when there is no reasonable explanation we can come up with, that God's got a plan for it. That's it. We see that uh, plan come to fruition uh, when you, we fast forward back into 1 Samuel. Uh, in 1 Samuel 16, uh, God reaches out to Samuel, the prophet, uh, and tells him that he has chosen a new king to replace Saul. Uh, this one from the home of Jesse of Bethlehem. And so uh, God tells Samuel, go take a young cow uh, to sacrifice in Bethlehem and invite Jesse and all of his sons to the sacrifice with him. And they come as a family and they're all there before him. And at some point, Samuel says, uh, sees the oldest son and says, ah, you are the one to be anointed as the new leader of Israel. And uh, God says, nope, that's not him. And he goes to the second born and does the same thing. And the next one and the next one. And he goes through seven sons of Jesse, the seven oldest sons of Jesse. And uh, God tells him that these are not, these are not the guys. So Samuel asked Jesse, is there, is there anybody else? Is there another one? And Jesse tells him, yeah, there, there's one more. He's the youngest and he's the smallest of the bunch, but he's back home tending the sheep, but we'll, we'll send for him. We'll go get him. And David comes. And as soon as David got there, God confirmed to Samuel that this is the one he's chosen uh, to be the next king of Israel. And so Samuel anointed him on the spot. And uh, it says that the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. And so you can see through the through the story of Ruth, through everything that we just talked about, that it ultimately leads to David being um, anointed as the next king of Israel. And uh, we'll we'll dive in over the next uh, um, uh, weeks and months about you know, just just how much of an impact that has on the nation of Israel and on the world today, as we know it. Yeah, it changed everything. It's it's almost from this point forward where we always say in every episode, "How does this point to Jesus?" Yeah. But it's from this point forward that we really start seeing Jesus. He's been in everything, but yeah. we really start seeing the evidence um, because we're literally in his bloodline now. So I love that this points to Jesus as well as it does from here on out. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that uh, this was Matt's idea to skip Ruth originally mm-hmm. and then to come back to this. And I love how it all ties together, even though chronologically, not really. Yeah. But it works because you see now Samuel is God reached out to Samuel and said go to, go get David. This is after mm-hmm. Saul and yeah. his mishaps. Anyway, with all that being said, you know, we're we're talking about Jesus and all of this. So how mm-hmm. how does this start pointing to him even more so than it has been? So I think from the from the genealogy standpoint in David's life, we see a lot of direct references to the coming Messiah to, you know, you're going to have a son that's going to call me father and I'm going to call him son. And, and, and this is where all of that starts. It, it all starts with David. And that's, and so that's a really, really powerful direct line point to Jesus. But I want to look at Ruth 
today and, and, you know, so much of her story and the culture that they were in being a Moabite woman in an Israelite nation and just some of the, the cultural issues there, you wouldn't expect that to happen, but it comes back to that. It's not about who you are. It's not about where you come from. It's not about, uh, your race or the culture or whatever. It's all about faith. You know, there was a constant tension between the Moabites and the Israelites at this point that we read about throughout the whole old Testament, but she married into the family with Naomi and Elimelech. And she said, you know what? The God I'm going to follow is the God that Naomi follows. And that's the one I'm going to jump in with. You know, it doesn't matter that she was a Moabitess woman. And and that's one of the, the struggles that a lot of people have with the old Testament is that salvation seemed to only be for the Israelites. And it really wasn't. It was for anybody who put their faith in the God of the Israelites. And Paul confirms it in Galatians three twenty eight. He says, there is no Jew or Greek slave or free male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And it, it's that mentality that it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. If you put your faith in Christ, you can have the same salvation that we have. And we see that all the way back in Ruth. We see it all the way through the old Testament that that's, it's always been about that. What we have today is that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice so that he is the one that we were putting our faith in. But, but that truth of faith in God is what saves you has always been the case. And we see it real clearly here. I think even it's been a question in the past of, well, you know, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, then how do you get saved? Yeah. You know, and, and I really think it's that simple. You know, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was rose three days later and has forgiven us of our sins. Right. And we believe that we're sinners and that we need a savior and that we repent from our sins Uh and trust in him. I think it's any different. Yeah. The difference is Jesus wasn't on the scene yet in human form. Mm-hmm. And they were, rather than sacrificing him once and for all, they were sacrificing animals right. to atone for their sins. Otherwise, if you believed in God, repented of your sins, and you made those sacrifices, mm-hmm. you were good. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is your faith in God showed itself when you made those sacrifices and when you said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to follow God's call the what he's told me to do, which is when I sin, I, my, I'm, I'm going to repent from it. I'm going to turn away from it. And I'm going to show that by making restitution with the sacrifice. The, the only difference today is that the sacrifice has already been paid. The faith a part of that equation, which is our, what we bring to the table has been the same from the beginning. It's right. always been that way. Right now. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I actually had that, that same conversation at Awana this week, um, or last week, I should say, in, you know, how did, how did people of the old Testament get saved? And you see it, it's so cool reading through this stuff and diving into it and seeing how, how that thread has, is, it really is, it's constant throughout. And, um, yes, there are differences before Christ and after Christ and, and, you know, not trying to, uh, negate those because it, the differences are why Jesus is so important. But that basic truth has been the same from right. the beginning of time. Heavy stuff, but good. Yeah. It's, it's, I say heavy because it seems like it could be hard to understand. But I think when you 
you do give your life over to Jesus and you get the Holy Spirit, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, what, um, as you said last week, or as you said a couple weeks ago, um, we're in a really cool stage now because there's so many more different things going on in the rest of the world than mm-hmm. there was pre, what, pre judges. Yeah. Pre Samuel. Uh, so, what you got for us this week? So we're looking at the the Brenepta victory steel, and and what this is is basically a um, stone engraving. So the uh, it was made by uh, Pharaoh Brenepta of Egypt, and uh, it was where he literally etched in kind of his uh, the record of his victories as as a pharaoh. And so it's a, just this big stone tablet with um, with pictures and words on it describing his conquests uh, with his time as Pharaoh. And so it's dated right around 1200 BC, which is kind of in the middle of the the two time frames we looked at with Ruth and David. But what's really cool about it is is one of the conquests he talks about is the Canaanite lands, which is uh, and he's got three or four different names in there. But he also lists Israel and. Uh, it is believed to be the earliest undisputed biblical source that references Israel directly. Being 1200 BC, this was very, very early on. There's not a whole lot of writings, period, from this time. But to have one that's this dated that directly references Israel, um, it references Israel as an established country because you wouldn't expect the Pharaoh to make a big deal out of conquering some nomadic people out in the middle of nowhere, right? Like this is, I went and conquered, uh, conquered Israel. You know, that's... Now, I will say there are some disputes over maybe the time frame or maybe some of the stories, but you know it's it's similar to other things we've talked about when they've got when we see recorded history, it's recorded through the eyes of the person who recorded it, and so you know maybe maybe Egypt battled with Israel and they had some victories, and then Israel kicked them out, and it's just not captured in the Bible. you know there's little details left out here and there, but the important thing is when, uh, and what's so cool about this is that it's a very, very early recording that the nation of Israel was there and it was around the land of the Canaanites, which is the promised land that they moved into. And so we've got some really cool archeological evidence that the events we have recorded in the Bible line up with the history that other people recorded at that time as well. And we think that the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's believed that these were probably the conquests that brought the slaves to Egypt. Israel, or is this after Israel? This is after, yes. This is after they moved back into. um, This is after Israel has moved into the Promised Land and and conquered it. Egypt is saying they came in and attacked. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So these writings are uh, is dated back to twelve hundred BC, but they had to have been written earlier than that, right? Or that's a no. It's about the right time frame. Oh, okay, yeah. So we're just separate from. We're at the same time frame as Ruth, but we're just separated from Ruth. Um, yes. This yeah. Was, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm following now. So it's cool to see a little piece of history right there. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, when people say there's no evidence, there's, there's no evidence that the Bible is real, that, you know, these, um, that these stories actually happened. There's another one right there. There's another one and they're all over the place. You just got to look for them. That's right. And sometimes you don't, sometimes you don't have to look for them. Sometimes they just uh, show up like the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's right. <laughs> That's right. If you don't know that story, just a quick version. Uh, somebody threw something into a cave and heard some pottery shatter. And there you have it. The original manuscript for the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Uh, just hiding there in plain sight. Kind of. So anyway, 
But look that up. That's actually a cool story as well. But I'm going to look up this uh, this Mernepta Victory Steel as well because that's uh, I want to see what that looks like. That just yeah. sounds interesting. Has it? So has it? I guess it's been found and is now in a museum somewhere. Yeah, I think it's somewhere over in Europe, I believe. But okay. it was, I think it was kind of officially put in a place like 1800s ish is uh, is when they got it and and put it in a museum. And it's been there ever since. Wow. Okay. I had no idea. Well, next week we're going to continue with David's life as he takes on Goliath, one of the, the biggest stories in the Bible, that yeah. is the most well-known stories in the Bible, and uh, that officially establishes him king over Israel. So we're going to talk about that story and uh, dig some truths out of it as well. Uh, it's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I guess for now that's going to do it for us, y'all. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We're going to see you guys next week. Y'all take care, everybody. Matt, get us out of here. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns about today's episode, shoot us a note at info at simplifyjesus.com. We would love to hear from you. Just let us know what you think. Be sure to check us out on social media and keep up with the latest from Simplify Jesus. We like to hang out on Facebook and Twitter. Comment, like, share. Keep up with all the latest stuff we've got going on there. You can also keep up with the latest at www.simplifyjesus.com as we roll out new podcast episodes and we've got different things going on. That's where you'll be able to find that. And finally, if you're looking for uh, where to listen to this podcast, let us know if you can't find us. But you can always just ask Alexa. Just say, hey, Alexa, play the Simplify Jesus podcast and you'll find us there. And with that being said, you guys have a great week.